You are listening to the Today I Found Out podcast, where each weekday we provide an interesting story that is going to feed your brain. You can read more great articles like this by going to todayifoundout.com. Hi, welcome to episode number 87 of the Daily Knowledge Podcast from todayifoundout.com. And in today's episode, you're going to learn about Vikings and their helmets and the popular myths surrounding these. This main segment is going to be followed up by a Why article today about why bathing was so uncommon in medieval Europe. In between those two, there's going to be a quick word from our fantastic sponsor, NatureBox. So let's just get started with today's show. To date, there is no evidence that any Viking warrior wore a horned helmet, and there is significant evidence that they didn't wear such impractical headgear. So how did this myth get started? A probable source is found in romanticized versions of the Vikings appearing around the mid-17th century to 18th century, and popularized in the 19th century. In these works, the Vikings were often depicted as violent adventurers who wore winged or horned helmets. It is thought that early Romantic artists and writers depicting them as such were going off ancient Greek or Roman texts which describe certain Northern European groups as practice of wearing various headgear, including the heads and sometimes full bodies of animals. The ancient Greeks and Roman literature on this type of practice was well before the Vikings' time and wasn't specifically referring to any group that would necessarily eventually become the Vikings, but even then, it is thought to be unlikely those groups wore this type of elaborate and heavy headgear during battle. In the earliest paintings of Vikings wearing these types of elaborate headgear, the artists depicted them with winged helmets, drawing from ancient Greek and Roman texts. The ancient Celtic priests, among other peoples of the world, are known to have worn winged helmets during certain religious ceremonies, and it is possible this is where the ancient Greeks and Romans got the idea for winged helmets. The image of Vikings wearing horned helmets rather than winged is thought to have been inspired by the small Grievensvange figurines discovered in the 18th century and which date back to around 800 to 500 BC, around the Nordic Bronze Age. During the 18th century, when romanticizing Vikings began to pick up steam, these artists and writers attributed these figurines to the Viking Age, which came much later, generally considered to be between the 8th and 11th century, or about a thousand years after those figurines were made. Actual archaeological evidence indicates that most Vikings went bareheaded or wore leather headgear, sometimes reinforced with wood. Those who did have metal headgear, usually the chieftains or other wealthy Vikings, wore simple round helmets, typically made of of iron and bronze. This makes sense as the Vikings often fought in close quarters, aboard ships, in homes, etc., which would have made elaborate horned or winged helmets very cumbersome and even dangerous to wear. So, today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by NatureBox, a subscription service for nutritious snacks with new snacks introduced every month made from wholesome ingredients. Unlike most of the snacky foods you're probably used to eating, NatureBox snacks contain no high-fructose corn syrup, no partially hydrogenated oils, no trans fats, and no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors. So if you've not heard of NatureBox before and you don't know how it works, basically it's a subscription service, and if you are a listener to this podcast, you can get 50% off your first box if you go to naturebox.com forward slash knowledge. And then each month you'll receive five different nutritionist-approved full-size snack bags containing things like blueberry almond bites, Bombay curried cashews, dark cocoa almonds, lemon pucker pistachios, or Italian bistro pretzels, among over a hundred or so other varieties. For the first month, you'll get a variety of different snacks sent to you, and from there you can choose which snacks you want to get each month or just continue to discover new favorites. 
So once again, as a listener of this podcast, you can get 50% off your first month's box. All you have to do is go to naturebox.com forward slash knowledge and sign up there. Happy snacking. Why bathing was uncommon in medieval Europe Before the Middle Ages, public baths were very common, as was the general public regularly taking time to bathe in one way or another. Even during the 4th and 5th centuries, Christian authorities allowed people to bathe for cleanliness and health, but they condemned attendance to public bathhouses for pleasure and condemned women going to bathhouses that had mixed facilities. Over time, more and more restrictions appeared. Eventually, Christians were prohibited from bathing naked, and the church began to disallow an excessive indulgence in the habit of bathing. This culminated in the medieval church authorities proclaiming that public bathing led to immorality, promiscuous sex, and diseases. This later diseases point was very common. It was believed in many parts of Europe that water could carry disease into the body through the pores in the skin. According to one medical treaty of the 16th century, water baths warm the body but weaken the organism and widen pores. That's why they can be dangerous and cause different diseases, even death. It wasn't just diseases from the water itself they were worried about. They also felt that with the pores widened after a bath, that this resulted in infections of the air having easier access to the body. Hence, bathing became connected with the spread of diseases, not just immorality. For most lower-class citizens, particularly men, the threat of diseases resulted in them completely foregoing bathing. During this time, people tended to restrict their hygienic arrangements to just washing hands, parts of the face, and rinsing their mouths. Washing one's entire face was thought to be dangerous as it was believed to cause catarrh, inflammation of the mucous membranes in the airwaves or cavities of the body, and weaken the eyesight, so even this face washing was infrequent. On the other hand, rather than completely forego bathing, members of the upper class tended to cut their full-body bathing habits to around a few times per year, striking a balance between the risk of acquiring a disease from the bath versus body stench. This wasn't always the case, though. As one Russian ambassador to France noted, His Majesty Louis XIV stunk like a wild animal. Russians were not so finicky about bathing and tended to bathe fairly regularly, relatively speaking, generally at least once a month. Because of this, they were considered perverts by many Europeans. King Louis XIV's stench came from the fact that his physicians advised him to bathe as infrequently as possible to maintain good health. He also stated that he found the act of bathing disturbing. Because of this, he is said to have bathed only twice in his lifetime. Another in this gruesome twosome class among the aristocracy was Queen Isabel I of Spain, who once confessed that she had taken a bath only twice in her life, when she was born and when she got married. To get around the water disease and sinful nature of bathing, many aristocrats during the Middle Ages replaced bathing with scented rags to rub against their body and heavy use of perfumes to mask their stench. Men wore small bags with fragrant herbs between the shirt and waistcoat, while women used fragrant powders. Amazingly, this complete lack of personal hygiene in most of Europe lingered until around the mid-19th century. If most of the entire populace smelling rancid wasn't enough, during medieval times in Europe, the streets of cities tended to be coated in feces and urine, thanks to people tossing the contents of their chamber pots into the streets. As one 16th century nobleman noted, the streets resembled a fetid stream of turbid water. He also noted that he had to keep a scented handkerchief held under his nose in order to keep from vomiting when walking the streets. If that wasn't enough, butchers slaughtered animals in the streets and would leave the unusable bits and blood right on the ground. One can only imagine how people survived the stench on sun-baked summer days. You just listened to an episode of the Today I Found Out daily podcast. Tune in every weekday for another great episode, or find more articles at todayifoundout.com.